0: So have you ever had a time when you faced a key decision, or there was some big opportunity in front of you, or something some that was before you, and you, you absolutely had to make a call on it, and you weighed everything out, you looked at the pros and the cons, and you, you, you kind of brought some people around you to help to talk, talk it through and, and think it through, and man, it's crunch time. It is decision time. You've waited as long as you possibly can, and there's just one problem. There are several ways that you could go, and it's not clear at all which way you should go. Like, you have two things, and it's just, you are dead on the fence, and you have no clue which way to go. Can you remember a time like that? And you know, and you prayed, didn't you? And you pray, God, please give me a sign. And then you prayed that for a while and there was no sign. It's like, God, just give me something. You know, give me, and I'm desperate here. Just help me to lean one way or the other. Just anything that you can do, God. And it's gut-wrenching, isn't it? It's agonizing. And you get right up to the wire and you put it on as, off as long as you possibly can. And you have to make a call. And it's as if God's like, you're a smart guy. You're a smart girl. I've given you the tools. I've given you the resources. Make the call. <laughs> you're like, what? What do I do? I know for me, those times are gut wrenchers. Well, if you can recall a time, or maybe you're facing one of those moments right now, you're in the midst of that. Um, today, we are going to look at a guy who is facing this exact scenario. His name was David. And um, even if you haven't been in church much or read much of your Bible, you're probably familiar with this guy because this is David of David and Goliath. Uh, this is David who would eventually go on to become the king of Israel. And, and he has written about far and wide in the history books. Uh, the Bible talks a ton about David. And so he's facing a similar situation. And what has actually happened is he has early in his life had tremendous success. He's killed Goliath. He's been a part of King Saul, who's the current king of Israel, part of his army. He's risen through the ranks, and he's been wildly successful and so popular that Saul is so jealous of him and has been trying to kill him. And so those early successes have now turned to dark days, and we are in the midst of this dark days series. And basically, David, in in this season, from like 1 Samuel chapter 20 to 30, he, he's on the run, fearing for his life. And no matter what he does or where he goes, Saul's trying to kill him, physically trying to kill him. Now, last week, we looked at what we thought was going to be a turning point in David's life. Because David's hiding out in this cave in the strongholds of Engedi. and it just so happens that Saul goes into that very cave, and David could have killed him, but he doesn't. He took the high road. We talked about taking the high road last week, if you remember that. And instead, he just cuts off a little corner of his robe, and he basically then calls Saul out, and he says, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I'm innocent. I'm loyal to you till the end, so quit it. And Saul has this moment where he breaks. David takes the high road, and Saul completely comes unglued, and it's this moment where you say, yes, that's awesome. That's the way it should always be when we take the high road, right? And, and Saul, he confesses, and the whole deal, and then it looks like the, the skies are going to part for David. But those last few words we looked at last week said, but David didn't go back with Saul. He stayed in the strongholds of Engedi. Gedi. And um, so, The reason David did that was because he knew Saul that this wasn't a permanent change in Saul's heart. He knew that Saul still had this jealousy. And sure enough, in 1 Samuel 26, Saul comes at David again. So that's That's kind of where we're picking it up in 1 Samuel chapter 27 as we look at verse 1. David's tried everything, and even when he took the high road and kind of proved his loyalty, Saul comes at him again. And so check out what it says here in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 27. It says, But David thought to himself, One of these days I'll be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines, the Philistines, the arch enemy of the Israelites, the Philistines—that was that's that's Goliath, okay, the one that David killed. Okay, so the best thing I can do is is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. Now, things have gotten so bad for David. Think about this—so bad. That his best option, he thinks, is to actually go now and seek refuge with the enemy, like defect to the enemy side. Man. So that's the storyline. We we're just setting up for an incredible story as chapter 27 opens. Okay? So that's where the account starts when we find ourselves. So that's the storyline. That's what's happening on the surface. But I want us to look at what's going on below the surface. What's happening theologically here Okay, with David? What's going on on a spiritual level? So check this out. It's so easy to miss this. It's right there in the first verse we just read. It's actually in the first five words. I don't know if you caught it or not, so let's read it again. It says, but David thought to himself. You know what's striking about that? David is a guy, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that has begun a habit, a pattern of seeking after God in everything that that he does. And this habit that he begins in 1 Samuel chapter 23, we see every turn, every decision, everything he does, he's seeking God, seeking God, seeking God, seeking God. And here it says, but David thought to himself. Isn't that interesting? He thought to himself. Now, we know because david wrote so many of the psalms in the old testament all those 150 prayers that you see we know and there's there's tons of psalms that david wrote and there's even some uh, psalm 142 and psalm 57 that are traced back to this very time when david was in this season of his life And he was on the run from Saul and he's seeking God and he's seeking God and he's seeking God. So we know that David's been seeking God. So why in the world does it say, but right here it says, but David thought to himself. Well, as far as I can tell, and you can come to your own conclusions, he's still been seeking after God. But it's like God has gone silent and maybe you can relate. Maybe you can think of a time in your own life where you've been praying and praying and praying and praying, God, help me in this decision. Guide me, show me. Please, God, give me a sign. And it's as if you were talking to the ceiling. So we don't know what's going on, but David has no choice but to think to himself. And these are gut-wrenching moments, aren't they? Because he thinks to himself, and he says, you know what, I got to make the best possible decision that I can make. Okay. I've done all that I can do. I've sought after God. I've prayed my guts out and I just don't have direction. So you know what? I got to make the best possible decision that I can make. Now, there's a question that you can ask in moments like these to help you arrive at the best possible decision. It's a question that David didn't necessarily wrestle with consciously, but at a subconscious level, as David was trying to make this decision, he was wrestling with a certain question that we're going to look at this morning. And this is a question that is so incredibly powerful, you guys, because in those moments where we don't have a clear sense from God which way we're supposed to go, we're not clear, we're like 50-50 right on the fence. This is a question that if we ask this question, it brings extraordinary clarity In the most complex situations, in the most emotional, gut wrenching times, in our darkest days, as we're facing decisions and having to move forward with things and we can't, we just aren't hearing from God, this decision, or this question rather, brings great clarity. Sometimes it's painful clarity, sometimes it's uncomfortable because all of a sudden we know which way we're supposed to go and we don't want to go that way necessarily. This is a question that is so good that it can be used in every situation, every opportunity, and every decision of your life where you don't have a clear sense of what God is saying. Every single time. This is a question that I stumbled upon years and years ago in a bookstore and I, I, I found this book and I started reading it. I, I think we have the, the, the book up on screen. It's called The Best Question Ever by a guy named Andy Stanley, who's a pastor of a church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I remember reading the question and he's, he's going through and he's explaining it. One of the things that he says is he says, you know, if you will, will use this question before you make the key decisions in your life when you're on the fence, it will save you so much time, money, money, and tears. And you know, I read that and instantly my mind flashed back to a decision I'd made a couple of years ago, a financial decision. And I was like, oh, where was this book? Where was this question a couple of years earlier, man? Because it would have saved me so much. So, you guys want to hear what the question is? Okay. All right. The question is this in those moments, where we are wrestling, where we are seeking clarity, where we are not sure of which way to go, when it's just so close to calm, we don't know. The question to, to ask yourself is this, what is the wise thing to do? Now, hang with me for a second. Some of you are like, are you serious? Are you serious? That's, that's, that's the question, all right? So, so just, just bear with me, okay? Bear with me. What's interesting about this question is this is not the question that asks what's the best thing to do because you don't know what the best thing to do is and it's not asking what's the right thing to do because how often are we wrestling with two things and they both seem right they both could work right so it's not what's the right thing it's not what's the best thing it's not what's the legal thing we already know that I'm talking about those times where you just don't know. And the question is, what is the wise, what is the wise thing to do? And you can ask this question at every time, every situation, every opportunity, every decision, every time God has not given you a clear direction to go. Now, to help you kind of get your mind wrapped around this, because you're like, oh, sweet. Okay, awesome. I'm just going to leave now. Okay, so just, just wait. Okay. We're going to look at this in three dimensions. It's really going to try and help to bring this down to your situation right now where you are so you can really understand the power of wrestling with this question. So, first dimension is the past. In light of my past experiences, what's the wise thing to do? That's the first question to ask. In light of my past experiences, what's the wise thing to do? Now, let's go back to David for a minute. So it seems absolutely insane as you start to read 1 Samuel chapter 27 that the wise thing for David to do would actually be to pack up and go over to Philistine territory. I mean, that seems absolutely insane. What's wise about that? Well, check this out. In light of David's past experiences, it actually is the wise thing. Thing to do. So let's do a little review for those of you, maybe you haven't been in a while it's your first time or whatever. We've been going through and looking at what David did, but let's just, let's just do a little quick recap. Okay. So David rose through the ranks and he was serving in Saul's palace and he was doing well on the army and doing all that he was supposed to be doing. Okay. So that's a past experience. How did that go for David? What, did, what thanks did he get for that? No, he got some spears thrown at him, right? He had multiple attempts on his life while he was serving King Saul in King Saul's palace. So guess what? Now he's out on the run. And he chose to take shelter with a buddy of his, the priest called Ahimelech. And so he was getting food and, you know, supplies for his guys. And, and basically he was just, you know, scared for his life. And so he sought refuge with his friend and all these other priests, Well, Saul has informants all over the place. It's just a matter of time before Saul's intelligence, King Saul's intelligence network catches up to David. And so Saul tracks David down and David escapes. But you know what happens to Ahimelech and all the priests of Nob, right? You remember that story? They all get slaughtered. Saul kills them all. That's how insane, that's how much his rage has has just gone crazy, so David, in light of that past experience, David realizes, man, if I seek shelter with people, they're going to get killed. I mean, that's how, that's how insane King Saul is. So where does he go from there? He goes to the desert, the desert of Ziph and the strongholds of En Gedi, and he's hiding out in caves and all kinds of places on like the outskirts of Israel. And what does that get him? Well, that gets him hunted down like a dog, and he's going from place to place to place, near miss after near miss after near miss after near miss. So guess what? There's nowhere in Israel that David can go. That's his past experience. And in fact, the crazy irony is he's already been in Philistine territory once. He was in Gath, and that's the one place where they didn't try and take his life. So in light of david's past experiences what's the wise thing for david to do as crazy as it sounds the wise thing for david to do was to go to gath the headquarters of the philistines the royal city right there now let's talk about you for a minute okay let's try and bring this home for us have you asked this question in light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing to do? Now, there's a key little two letter word in there my. Don't miss that word because that is so powerful in light of my past experiences, right? So what may be wise for someone else based on their past experiences is not necessarily wise for me based on my past experiences. They are unique to me and I have to make sure that I'm evaluating that thing in light of my past experiences. So here's the deal. You know your tendencies, right? You know where your weaknesses are. You know where your susceptibility lies. And you know where your strengths are. And you know where you've had success in the past. And you know how you manage risk. And you know where you do well and where you struggle. In light of your past experiences, the question is, what is the wise thing for you to do? So maybe there's somewhere you're thinking about going or some people you're thinking about hanging around with. And based on your past experiences, how it went the last time, or, you know, just open the history books on your own life. Is that the wise thing to do? Again, it's not, is this the right thing to do? Because it's not necessarily a right or wrong. It's just for you, based on your past experience, is this wise? Is this wise? All right? So hopefully that brings a little bit of clarity. Now, let's look at another dimension. It's similar to the past. In light of my current circumstances... What's the wise thing to do? In light of my current circumstance, this stage of life I'm in right now, what's happening right now, February 2014, what is the wise thing to do? We're going to take a look at verses 2, 3, and 4 because it really sheds light on David's current circumstances. It says, So David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. So just picture this. This is a massive, massive group of people. This isn't just David going over to Gath. This is David, 600 guys, their wives, and their kids. I mean, you're talking... Thousands of people making a trip and settling in the royal city, Philistine headquarters at Gath. Now, the question that comes up is, how in the world did this work? Like, I mean, what happened when they when they kind of walked in? I mean, would they be seen as an enemy? I mean, how did this how did this all take place? Well, here's the deal. This is something you've got to you've got to understand. The Philistines were acutely aware. Of the unfolding drama between Saul, the king of Israel, and the rising star through the ranks of his army, the threat to the throne, David. They were painfully aware of this. And so actually what you see if you look back through first Samuel, it's fascinating the Philistines were actually timing their military attacks and their raids based on when Saul was going out to pursue David. Like when Saul would take 3,000 of his best guys, because he was that sick, he was that enraged, he was that jealous. When he was taking 3,000 guys and going to hunt David and his men down, guess what? This is the perfect time, if you're the Philistines, to go and attack. And so you know, through the Philistine networks and through their spies and their informants, they knew what was going on. <laughs> they knew David was a threat to the throne. They knew that, David, that Saul couldn't stand David. And so the deal was that they had an alliance with David. You know, David, here's David with his disgruntled men and they're marching out of Israel. They've had enough. Guess what? The Philistines are like, this is beautiful. We all hate Saul, don't we? We we now have a common enemy, the current leadership, the current reign of Israel. And so the Philistines were like, this is beautiful. Let's have an alliance together. So this is David's current circumstances. And the other thing that David realizes is that as soon as he steps foot off of Israeli soil, he's no longer a threat to Saul. He's out of the picture. So Saul's no longer going to pursue him. So that is currently where David is. So in light of his current circumstances, in light of that scenario, this is actually the wise thing to do. This is the one place where David could be where he actually won't get attacked. Now, let's talk about us again. So the question is, in light of my current circumstances right now, What's the wise thing for me to do? That decision that I'm facing, that that thing that's before me, in light of what's currently going on, in light of my current stage of life right now. So there are some of you here, and uh, you just recently got married, or you recently had a kid. And... You know, there's this trip that happens every year and it's like, all your guys get together and it's over a week and it's super fun and it's a tradition and you couldn't possibly, possibly ever think about not doing that trip, you know? And there's nothing wrong inherently with the trip. I mean, you, you know, it's just, it's a good time. It's good, healthy fun, you know, with the guys. These are your buddies from a long time ago, but you just got married. You just recently had a baby. That's your current circumstance, So, in light of that, what is the wise thing to do? This question starts to bring some uncomfortable clarity when you look at it in certain lights. So, maybe. Um, you're in college and, and you just had a rough last semester and you know grades didn't quite turn out how you wanted. I'm sure no one in this room ever experienced that. But, um, you know, and, and you're like, okay, I got to double down next semester. This it is go time. You know, we are pulling the GPA up and you are all systems go and you are ready to rock and roll, right? And then just before the first set of finals, kind of early on, that first pivotal set of finals early on in the semester, you got a bunch of friends, and they've got this really cool road trip planned. (laughs) And it would just be awesome to go, wouldn't it? A neat experience. You might not get that opportunity again. So hard to figure out what to do. Well, in light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? (laughs) If you're really honest, that question will start to bring some clarity. So maybe you just moved to D.C. and your eyes are popping out of your head at the cost of living and just how crazy everything is. Or you just started a new job and it involved you know, a, a new you know, pay cut or whatever to, to pursue this thing that you really wanted to go after. Or you, know, you just bought a house or whatever it is. Right? You are now in a different financial stage of life. In light of that, what's the wise thing to do about those decisions that are coming up before you? in light of your current circumstances, what is the wise thing to do? All right, we're going to look at one more. It's probably a lot of you who are smart enough to figure out where this next one's going. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? And I think this one has the power to be the most influential one of all three of these in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? So let's read on about David here and close out this chapter. It says, then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, that's a city, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. Now, David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Those were all enemies of Israel. From ancient times, these peoples had lived in the land extending to Shur and Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he didn't leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels, and clothes. Then he returned to Akish. When Akish asked, "Where'd you go raiding today, David?" David would say, "Against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of Jeremiel, or against the Negev of the Kenites." Those were all Israeli cities. He didn't leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, "This is actually what David did." And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. So, just in case you kind of got lost in that bit of text, let me just give you a quick synopsis. So David's been living in the royal city of Gath. We've got a picture up on the screen, right? He's been living right dead smack in the middle of everything in Philistine territory. And he says to "Man, you don't need all of us here depleting your resources. And you know, that's crazy. Send us out to some obscure place and you know, we'll be, we'll be fine out there. And so this is brilliant because David gets out from under Achish's thumb. Now he's 20 miles away, okay? And he's got autonomy now to act the way that he truly wants to act. And and this is so brilliant. So David is actually now able to go and attack Israel's enemies, most notably the Amalekites, who are just giving Israel fits, constantly, constantly attacking Israel. And David's able to now flank them from the Philistine side, and he's, and he's taking them down. But then, as like any great double agent, like if you're into the spy museum and all that stuff, like this David, man, he's like the original pioneer of this stuff. He is basically saying to Achish, man, like I'm killing all these, these Israelites. So now Ak is just like, this is beautiful. So, so David is in this incredible position where he's built an alliance with the Philistines. If he ever needs to you know, double-cross them, he can. But he's able to protect Israel. Now, you might be like, okay, that's really cool and everything. But what does that have to do with the question, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? I'm glad you asked. So the deal is, this shows David's future hopes dreams, you see. You got to remember, David's on the run from Saul. He's been betrayed. Uh, I mean, this is, this is an incredibly difficult season of David's life. And you know, David is not focused on revenge. He is not hell-bent on taking Saul out. He's not. David just has one thing in mind that he's always had in mind, and that is seeing God's will done. He wants to see God glorified and he wants to see the nation of Israel restored to its former glory. So he wants to see it protected. He wants to see it lifted up so that God's chosen people would be this light on a hill and a light to all the nations. See, that's what David's future hopes and dreams are all about. So in light of that, this is actually the wise thing to do. He's found a way to be able to live out those future hopes and dreams and to protect the nation of Israel and to serve God in a most unusual way, while at the same time protecting himself. So how does this translate to us today in the midst of decisions that we're going to be facing soon, or maybe are before us right now, we don't have a clear sense of which way to go. And we've been asking God, we haven't gotten a sign. How does this relate to us today? Well, it's asking this question in light of my future hopes and dreams. What is the wise thing for me to do? So in light of where you want to be relationally, Is this relationship that you're trying to figure out right now, is that the wise thing to do? Like in light of where you want to be 5, 10, 15 years from now relationally, is where you are relationally right now, is that the wise thing to do? Is that relationship, is, is that the wise move? Is that the wise choice? In light of where you want to be financially, down the road a ways, this decision that you're wrestling with right now, these financial things that you're involved with, In light of where you want to be, is that the wise thing to do? In light of where you want to be with your career, what is the wise thing to do now? When you filter it through that grid, it is such an incredibly powerful, powerful question. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? See, for David, it was such a no-brainer. In light of his past experiences, in light of his current circumstances, and in light of his future hopes and dreams, he had to do the most improbable thing, but it was the wisest thing he could possibly do. Now, Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, you know, this is great, but I'm kind of almost sick to my stomach over this because I'm conjuring up something that happened years ago. You know, where was this years ago? I don't need this sermon today. Where was this? Or I know someone who should be here, but they're not here. And it's just, I'm just frustrated. Okay. If you're here and you're a little bit frustrated, okay. Or, or maybe you're even, you're even kind of realizing you've had some, some of that uncomfortable clarity and you're like, ah, ha. I think I know what the wise thing to do is and I really don't want to do it, okay? So here's the, I want you to channel your unrest and your angst. And if you have any kind of like hatred toward me right now, just let's just channel that, okay? And what, what I want you to do is I, ju- I just want you to see the wisdom in this question, okay? I mean, you, you read through the Proverbs, you'll see it's talking wisdom, 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 wisdom all over the place. And what I want you to do is, is not just kind of explain this question away or whatever. What's the wise thing to do? Okay. I I want you to realize how powerful that is. And maybe that's in light of something that happened to you years ago and you wish you would have asked the question. And what I want to do is I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to take that question and put it before you every day this week, every day this week. So maybe you just take the, the outline on that, on that blue piece of paper and you just put it by your alarm clock, by your bed. And just every day for, for the next week, I just want you to ask the question with whatever thing is not just extraordinarily clear already. Whenever you have something and you're not really sure, you got a decision to be made, an opportunity that prevents itself, a situation that arises, and just try this for a week. Just, would you humor me? Just try this. You owe it to yourself to try this. Even if you don't act on it, ask this question. It'll be extraordinary. In light of my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances, and in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? If you do, you'll be glad you did. Let me pray for you. Uh, God, we have all had those moments where we just, just like David, we just did not know which way to go we did not know what to do and it just seemed like you're silent and you didn't give us that sign that we've been asking for and uh, it's just so gut-wrenching god but if you if your message for us today is that we have enough tools and resources and wisdom to be able to figure it out lord help us help us to ask the hard clarifying questions that we need to ask God, help us to evaluate what it is we're facing in light of our past experience, our current circumstances, and our future hopes and dreams. Help us to have the wisdom to ask that question and then give us the courage to act on what you're telling us to do and the faith in you to walk in the way that you want us to to walk in the wise way. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.